Wise Men and Kings and a Sparkly Star. Grab your Bible and let's go. Welcome to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast, where Bible study and thought provoking conversation lead to creative teaching. Now, here are your hosts, Dave and Mary Nelson. When I was younger and taught about manners, I was taught a conversation killer is to talk about religion and politics. Oh, yes. And yet, today's lesson that we're talking about, David, involves religion and politics. Very much. So intertwined. So what was the setting for the time when Jesus was born? What, what was the religious and political situation? When Jesus was born, in the bigger picture, Rome was in control. Rome, Judea, was the place where Jesus was born was part of this vast Roman Empire. Rome had been uh, in control for about 60 years when Jesus was born, and it suited them right and the Judeans for there to be a king to kind of rule over the Jews in the land of Judea and in the surrounding regions. Not every place in the Roman Empire had kings, but here in Judea there was a king because it suited their interest and, of course, suited the Jewish interest best. And so they had set up Herod as sort of a puppet king. And Herod had jurisdiction over Judea and and Galilee and and Samaria and some of the surrounding areas. So is it sort of the case that as long as King Herod and the Jews kept the peace and kept things under control, Rome wasn't too concerned about it, maybe collecting some taxes, but they, they were happy to let the Jews take care of themselves? Would it be sort of like that? Right. Yep. They could rule themselves, well, through Herod, collect the taxes, keep the peace, Everything would be good. Well, of course, that's the theory. But Herod himself was actually on, uh, he's a very capable person. He is uh, known as being a great builder, and he uh, built up this place of Masada, which became important later on in Jewish history. He built several palaces for himself that have been dug up over in, in Israel today, and they're magnificent palaces. Uh, he also, probably most well-known, was building up the temple. He was enlarging the temple. Uh, he was uh, making it more beautiful. He was doing repair work, renovation work, making it more impressive. And that had been going on for a long time. In fact, even long after Herod's death, they still continued to build the temple. So it's interesting to think, when back when we learned before that Jesus' parents took him to the temple, it, it would have been under construction. There would have been a lot of work going on, wouldn't there? Yeah, there would have been a lot of work going on. I'm not for sure, of course, where, where it was, but yeah, they would have seen work going on in the temple. So... You know, when I'm looking, sometimes when I'm studying for my Bible lessons, I'll see Herod's temple. So this was a rebuilt temple, not like the very, very, very long ago temple in the Old Testament that you read about Solomon's temple, because that was destroyed when they went into captivity. But here, this is a rebuilt temple. But even at that point, it was still a beautiful temple, wasn't it? It was a beautiful temple. It was actually, the temple was rebuilt after the Jews returned back, but Herod made it bigger and better. He wanted to impress the people. Um, one, one thing about Herod, he was the ruler of the Jews, but the, 
Jewish people did not like Herod. They kind of considered him illegitimate. So he went basically out of his way to, for lack of a better word, to impress the Jewish people to, so he can legitimize himself to them. And one of those things would have been to pay attention to the temple, which he was doing. And that he was hoping to finally legitimize himself uh, to the Jewish people. So the scene is Rome is ultimately in charge of the empire, but the Jews are keeping to themselves. Herod's ruling them. But he, it's very important that he's the king of the Jews. He took that seriously. He was very jealous of that title. So when we think about the visit of these men from the east, these wise men that came from the east, where they were from, these were the important people, weren't they? The guys in the know. The Magi. Yes, they're probably astrologers from Persia, from Babylon, somewhere there in the east. They're not Jews, they're non-Jews. These astrologers were considered wise men and... They gained special insight into what was happening in the world by observing the movements of the planets and the stars. So they were kind of respected men, knowledgeable men back in that. Day. They really were the wise men, weren't they? They were. In the right. East. So, so when we're saying the East, we're probably talking about like Babylon, Persia, and, of course, these are places the Jews knew well because that's where they had been led into captivity all those years before. Right. So they were familiar with the East. Right. So here are these wise men, the Magi. And when we read this scripture, which I don't think we even said, David, but we're reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. That's where the lesson today is right. centered. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're not going to read that whole chapter here in this podcast, but that would be, if you were teaching this lesson, you sure would want to go and read that whole section of Scripture, Matthew, Matthew 2, 2, 1 through 23. Right. But anyway, so these these um, wise men, even while they were still in the East, there was something about a star that was different. They saw a star, a star appeared to them. They were into stars, so... But they and even so they noticed that, it. and they they know they noted that this was significant, and they needed to kind of find out about this. So somehow they associated this to the king of the Jews. They did. And they said, "This is his star," right? And that was what their whole traveling was about—to make their way from where they were. And if you say maybe, let's just say Babylon, that area in the east. To travel all the way to Jerusalem was not a short trip. It would have taken them a long time to make that trip. Okay, I did a Google Maps search. That's how I roll. So I I looked up on Google Maps. So from Iraq, in the area where they say Babylon probably was, to Jerusalem, if you walked that today, under today's conditions, if you were one person— and never slept or ate, you could walk that distance in nine days and 16 hours. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a long way. Um, But of course, they would have had a whole group. There would have been probably a caravan of people. You're thinking animals and servants and somebody to carry all these gifts. And And all their provisions. It would have taken surely 
at least a couple of months at best, wouldn't it? Oh, I would think. And probably more. Yeah. So they're coming to Jerusalem looking for this king of the Jews. Yeah, I think the way the chapter begins is very significant because it says in verse 1, we'll read this, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem during the time when Herod was the king. Herod was the king of the Jews. And then after Jesus was born, some wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the baby who was born to be king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. So we came to worship him or to honor him, uh, respect him. I feel like there should be some background music. (laughs) So in this, so you have here at the very beginning of the story, you have two rival kings. That's right. There is Herod, the king of the Jews, who really wasn't legitimate. And then there is this one, this baby, who was said to be king of the Jews. And at least from Herod's perspective, there can only be one king. And it's not going to be this baby boy. So you can, the plot begins right here. So Herod's the one with something to lose here, isn't he? So he's worried. And there's people around are concerned. So he calls a meeting. He's an administrator, right? So he calls a meeting. And he calls together the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, the leading priests, and he's just going to clarify some things. He goes, all of us know that there is a Messiah coming. That's all of the Old Testament teaches that. All of the teachings of the prophets. Everyone knows there's a Messiah coming. And to, of course, to the Jews, that would mean an anointed one. That, that is a king. And so he's saying, we know this. So where was that king supposed to be born? Well, that's where the scribes of the law, the, uh, the priest, they answered because they knew the scripture. And, and so they turned to the, uh, the scroll of Micah, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. In the town of Bethlehem in Judea is where this coming one, this anointed one who is called the Christ is to be born. And that's in Matthew 2 here, verse 5 and verse 6. So I'm just trying to imagine, you know, if I was King Herod, and I was a little bit concerned anyway about my title, I want to make sure everybody knows I'm the king. This seemed like a far off thing, but now all of a sudden, here are these wise men from the East, here are the, the leaders and teachers of the law, they know this, this baby is going to be born in Bethlehem, that's where the new king is going to be coming from, and here are these Wise men headed to Bethlehem. This is becoming very real, this whole idea of a rival king. It's hitting too close to home for Herod. He's going to do something about it. So he calls another meeting, but this time it's a secret Secret meeting. meeting. So he calls the wise men and he asks them, uh, he wants to know, you know, where, which baby it is. You know, when he learned, says from the exact time when they first saw the star, They probably told him, and then they go to Bethlehem, and he says, you know, I want you to come back and tell me where he is, because I want to worship him, too. So he says. Of course, we know that Herod has a plan to get rid of this baby boy. But he's got to know where he is and who he is, right? That's right. So these wise men are going to figure that out, so I'll just get them to tell me. Right. And they didn't know Herod's devious intentions, and so they were probably going to come back and tell Herod. So they go on 
to Bethlehem, and they are led exactly to where Jesus was. And Jesus, I don't know, in some of the pictures and things we see at Christmas, you have the wise men coming to that stable where Jesus is a baby in the manger. But really, time has passed. It has passed, yeah. That's not really how it really was. It says here that they go to the house where Jesus was. So they're in a house now. So Joseph maybe is doing carpentry work. They're, they're in a house. Um, he's still very young. This is a young, young child, oh, but, yes. but not that baby in the manger. Right. So I think it's significant in verse 10. It says, when the wise men saw the star, they were filled with joy. They filled with joy. And then when they go to the house and see the child, they bowed down to worship. So their joy leads to worship, and I, I think that's something important for us to, to note here. Mm. So they really were wise, weren't they? <laughs> they they, <were> they <laughs> recognize this baby as important. And then they bring their gifts. So Mary, how many wise men were there? Ah, that's a trick question. Because all the pictures and Christmas cards and even a song, We Three Kings of Orient are. So it's always People say three kings, but really, when we've been reading over this passage today, David, there's nothing in here about three kings. See, that's the thing. There's the, and the Bible never does say how many of these magi. It does say they brought three gifts. Right. So there could have been three, but we just don't know that for sure. Yeah. Right. So it is a trick question. So uh, they bring these gifts, and, and these are not rattles and diapers and... Baby oil, are they? No, no. <laughs> that would be the normal gifts for a little little child, little baby. But these are something different, yeah. Very expensive gifts. I mean, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These are those spices. You know, we don't think of spices that way these days. But spices back then were rare and very, very expensive. They were. So that's the gifts they bring to this king. And I'm, I'm reminded... Two places in the Old Testament where maybe the background of what's happening here, because here are these these wise men who represent non-Jewish people, and they're looking for the Messiah. They're looking for this anointed one. And in Psalm 72, verse 10 and verse 11, it says that they come and pay homage to Israel's king. And so it's they come from the west and come from the east. And it says, let all the kings bow down to him. Let all the nations serve him. That's Psalm 72, 10 and 11. And that's, that's what we see here in the story. And then they also not only come to pay homage to this king, but they come also offering gifts. And there's another text, Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6, where, it, interesting, it talks about Jerusalem, light shining, and this shining light attracts all the nations, the people around. What passage is that one? It's in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. Oh, I want to read that one later. And this light shines in the darkness to illuminate and tracks the people and the nations come to this light, and they come gathering to worship, and they come bringing gifts. And it says in verse 6, they will, people will come from Sheba bringing gold and incense and they will sing praises to the Lord. And I, I think we have this background here that that these magi are, are, in a sense, fulfilling this. And so they represent the nations that will come and pay homage to this king and bring them 
their allegiance, their gift. Isn't it amazing because Herod is thinking so small. He's thinking king of the Jews, and that's all he's thinking about, in his kingdom and, and his little part of the Roman Empire. And, you know, he's, he's possibly not even thinking about king of the world. No. <laughs> but really, these uh, visitors from the East do represent the idea, that idea. I love that, that the whole world. And Jesus came not to just bless the Jews. He came to bless the world because the Jews were not here just to bless themselves, but to bless the whole world. That's right. Because they represent God, and he blesses everyone. Right. So these wise men, I mean, they're introducing the story as coming to Jerusalem, looking for the king of the Jews, and they exit the story in obedience to a dream that they had. So they become a model, actually, for how we should follow God, looking for his king and then being obedient to him. Because in this dream, God warned them, don't go back to Herod, just go back home. And that's what they did. So they, they leave to go back home, and Herod is left in the lurch. That's right. Here Herod thought, all oh, these wise men are going to come back to me. They're going to tell me where this baby is, and then he can do whatever his plan is to that baby. But now the dream leads them away from Herod. They go a different way. But this kind of starts a few different dreams in this passage. Next, Joseph has a dream. And the dream is to take Mary, take this little boy, and get out of town. (laughs) Leave and go to Egypt. Funnily enough, you know, you think of out of Egypt as so important, you know, back in the Old Testament here, God's saying, go into Egypt Egypt for your own to be protected. That's right. And so Joseph obeys. And before Herod can act, God takes charge and tells Joseph what to do. And Joseph obeys, goes to Egypt. He removes this small child from an impending, terrible situation that's going to be happening around Bethlehem. Another thing about Herod, we learn, is that he's cruel, and he didn't get the chance to kill this baby boy, but he's not going to be outsmarted and outdone, and so now he goes and he kills all the infants, two, he says, two and under, to make sure he gets this little boy. Because he thinks this little king is still in Bethlehem. He doesn't know that, that God has taken Jesus into safety into yeah. Egypt, right? Yeah, he so has he's no just idea. Yeah. he's just saying, okay, I'm just gonna wipe out all the little baby boys, and this will make sure I get whatever little boy is the king. Right. This is pretty cruel, and we think, well, how can someone do this? But Herod has a reputation for being very cruel. He was very jealous. He was paranoid, even. And there are many stories about Herod about his cruelty. In fact, he even had a, two of his sons killed because he felt they were a threat to his rulership, his kingship. This is very much in character for Herod. It's horrible. It is a horrible thing. It, isn't it ironic? It, it sort of reminds me back in Egypt, in the Old Testament, when we read about uh, the Pharaoh killing all the little boys, having all the little boys killed just to keep the numbers down of all the multiplying Jewish people. That's right. There are few parallels here between that situation and Jesus' situation. They're parallels to the story of Moses, and you just brought out one important one, yes. So here, plan A was to kill one baby. 
plan B turns out to kill all the baby boys that might have been born in that time. I remember a very, very sad song. You don't hear it much at Christmas because it really is a sad song, but I don't know if I'm saying the words right, but it's uh, Lule, 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 and it's called the Coventry Carol. I think it was Annie Lennox wrote that song, and it's a very, very sad lullaby as if it's sung by those mothers of all those little boys that were killed and just singing a lullaby to our, my little baby who was killed by Herod. It's a very sad thought. Yeah. This sets the tone, really, for Jesus's ministry. But we talk about a little baby born and everything's all happy, but there is this sinister plot going on that follows him his whole life because he will always be the king of the Jews, and you can only have one king. That's right. So he's so always sort of the rival to whoever is the king. So Herod may have thought he was successful, not knowing that actually the one he was after was safely tucked away in Egypt. But he dies. In verse 19, Herod dies. He may have gone to his grave thinking he's, he's done it, but again, the angel of God comes or tells Joseph, now it's safe to go back. Another dream. He, so he tells him in a dream to leave Egypt and come back, and then there's another dream. Still things are dangerous, and another dream says, go to Galilee. And that's how Joseph ends up, Joseph and Mary and little baby, or little boy Jesus. Little boy, yeah. <laughs> they end up in Nazareth, which opens the next stories we're going to be talking about in the right. Gospels. And this is Jesus the Nazarene. So this story here is sort of mixed. There's good things and bad things going on. So how would you present this to children? Well, I would probably dwell on the idea of wise men bringing gifts. I'd talk about honoring Jesus, because that's what they were doing. They were recognizing that he was a king, even though he was a baby. They came and honored him and brought him gifts. And I I think that's probably the thing that would be the most understandable to children is the idea of honoring Jesus in the words we say, in the actions, in what we do, in the way we treat people, treat our friends. All of these are ways of honoring Jesus. Those are important. Adults need to honor Jesus, too. Adults need to recognize that Jesus is the is the true king. And out of that, show their allegiance by bringing gifts. And I might want to ask a question in an adult situation is, what gifts have you brought to Jesus? And what kind of gifts would be appropriate for Jesus? And how would these gifts demonstrate your honor of Jesus in showing your allegiance to Jesus? So I think that would be a good discussion question. Oh, that would. Isn't it amazing, too, like the gifts we bring to Jesus are... (laughs) You know, they're so insignificant. They feel insignificant. But in the same way these wise men brought these gifts to Jesus, later God used those. Because when, you know, when Joseph and Mary and this uh, child went to Egypt, I mean, this is a fairly probably poor family from Nazareth. And here they're going, how could they possibly support themselves in this faraway land of Egypt? But Ah, 
<laughs> they had gold and frankincense and myrrh that could be traded and used to support the family and keep them safe. Isn't that amazing? I thought about that. God yeah. uses gifts to bring blessing and, and His will. That's right. And maybe in ways in which the gifts weren't in, originally intended when they were given, greater God is. That's right. It, it sure is faith-building for me. But, you know, I'm just thinking of in a children's class, some just some real basic things I might try. It's a big skill to draw a star for the first time. <laughs> for I know. the second, third time, too. <laughs> so it's a, there's different ways to draw stars, but it's a fun thing for a small child to learn to draw a star. So that's a great thing to do in Bible class. And the other thing that plays out in this story is the journey of it from the east to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, from Bethlehem to Egypt, from Egypt back to Nazareth. So I think in telling this, I would like to have my children moving around. I might tell part of this story in one place in the room, and then we travel to Jerusalem. And then I'd talk about what happens in Jerusalem. And then we'd move to another part of the room and talk about what happens in Bethlehem. And then I'll have the class move again, and we move to Egypt, and we talk about what happened in Egypt, and then back again to Nazareth. So, you know, you whatever situation you have, you could think of ways you could set that up in your classroom. A, I think that'd be fun. That's a great idea, yeah, and fun. Yeah, of course, because classes should be fun. <laughs> I think this could be a time when you use visual aids. You could wrap them up in, as presents, as gifts. And so you open gift number one and, and look at pictures of the wise men and, and the magi traveling. And you open up gift number two, and you might have them with Herod. And then you open up the third box. Nothing's more fun than opening up presents, right? Yeah, that's a lot of fun. So you could do that. Yeah. Or I think a good memory verse for this one is actually one that would be a good one for children to learn is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave, gave. His Son. Right. He gave a gift. Yeah. He gave the greatest gift of all. That's right. Yeah. So that's a great yeah. memory verse and one that will stand the test of time for them. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Can you get some frankincense? Can you get some myrrh <laughs> to smell <laughs> and see what they smell like, possibly with essential oils and things like that? You might can put your hand on those. Probably can. Yep. That would be fun for the kids to do. I always just like to make it real in class or, or give them experiences that relate to the story. But this is such a wonderful lesson. It's not just a story for children. It's a lesson for all of us. That's right. As you go on to teach children, I hope that you feel blessed by just spending time in this scripture. Sometimes it's tempting just to rush to the activities, to the glitter and the glue and, and all of those things like that, but I hope we can take time to actually open the Word of God and spend time in it so that from that you can bless the children that you teach. And may God bless you as you continue to speak into the lives of children. for listening to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast. Subscribe now to listen to new weekly episodes and visit missionbibleclass.org for more free resources to help you share God's Word with children.